Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? The road's okay out there. You guys obviously made it okay. If you didn't, then, well, <laughs> we'll pray for them, I guess. Uh, hopefully, we're getting some help. Um, good to see all of you. Good to uh, just be together with you. I just want to say a welcome as well to all those that are watching online, and uh, you are a part of uh, this service as well. So we uh, hopefully you're nice and toasty warm in your living room, and uh, enjoy the time here today. Um, so we're going to get jump right back in here to our new series. How many were here last week? few people? Okay, most people. Okay. So last week we jumped into a new series. It's called The Upside Down, and it is a, it is a study through the Beatitudes, or what are called the Beatitudes, uh, in the book of Matthew. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5, and that's where we'll be working from to begin with this morning. And the idea, you know, you may say, why, why upside down? What's the, you know, what, what's the deal with all of that? Um, you know, really, when, when you start to read through these Beatitudes... You, it doesn't take you very long to realize this is very, very countercultural. All right? When you look at what's in the world and what's being taught and what's being said in the world and, and the way that the world lives, we see very quickly, and I'm sure if you've been a, le- a believer for more than a minute, you've probably seen it very clearly that you know, we live differently, don't we? We, we live differently. The kingdom of God works different than, than the, the kingdom of this earth. And so, you know, that's, that's the idea of this upside-down series and, and really what the Beatitudes are getting at. And, you know, when Jesus is speaking uh, to, to this, this audience, this audience is primarily uh, those who had begun to follow him. You know, we can call them disciples. It's, the disciples are not just the 12. Those are the, the, the apostles, and, and those are the 12 that were called. But, but anybody that follows Christ is a disciple. We still use that today. We call it discipleship, you know, and being a disciple of Christ. And so, again, you know, that's, that's the crowd. And, and this was at the moment probably the, 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 the highest point of Jesus' popularity, if you will, on earth. Meaning that, you know, it was still, you know, he was going around healing people, he was performing miracles. The buzz about him uh, was still, you know, very high. And so he had these crowds begin to follow. And, and you know, as he began that popularity, obviously, uh, the religious leaders took notice. And it kind of started to, to wane off and ultimately led him to the cross. But this was kind of that pinnacle. And so he wanted to come forward and speak to people who were following him. And so for us who are believers today, uh, th- this is a message for us, obviously, as well. And, you know, he knew, Jesus knew that, that those who were following him were going to be called to a lifestyle that was completely contrary to that of the world. Now, I know we live in a day and time where we think like, wow, we are definitely going against the grain more and more. Trust me, it, it, not much has changed. <laughs> it's just more now because of the Internet. We know more. We, we share more. But it's, it was the same back in Jesus' time. It was counterculture, what he was, uh, you know, putting in front of the people, what he was saying, and it was, it was, you know, very controversial, if you will. And so, you know, oftentimes I think, I think when we talk about Christianity, we talk about our faith, I think faith really, faith in Christ should come with a warning label. If you've been a Christian for more than a minute, I'm sure you've understood that if you are living out your walk with God in an open manner and people know that you are a believer, things don't always go perfectly, do they? Are you, you know, you don't always walk into a room with applause and like, oh, hey, look, Bobby's here, yeah. No, we, to stand for Christ means to basically, you're going to take kind of heat in this world. You're going to have difficult seasons. You're going to have challenging times. 
And one of the greatest, I think, challenges in the church is when the church begins to look so much like the world that you can't tell the difference. You know, we strive sometimes so hard to avoid conflict and to avoid difficulty that sometimes we, we slip away from being identified as Christians and, and that we are countercultural and we slip into this mode of just, well, I don't want to offend them. I just want to be accepted and I don't want the, the hard times. And so Christianity does need to come with a warning label. And, you know, this, the context and, and how many, I say this all the time and hopefully you remember now, Probably keep saying it for the rest of the time I'm here and I have breath in my lungs. You know, we always want to approach Scripture in context, amen? We always want to approach Scripture, and here's the deal. You know, the Bible, there's Bible studies sometimes, and I don't know if you've been in these, and if you are in one, just, just keep looking at me and we won't pretend, we'll pretend it's not you. But I don't like when we go around in a circle and say, what does this Scripture mean to you? And you go around the room and, oh, okay, there's ten different meanings. Because you know why? <laughs> the scripture has one meaning. And it's our job to dig and to, to find what is the truth here, and then how do we apply that? And, and how it's applied can, you know, there's, there's some flexibility there, but, but we, got to, we have to find out, we have to dig and find out what is the Scripture saying. We have to be good stewards, we have to be good students of the Word of God. And so understanding that, that the context of what the Beatitudes, where they fall, it falls within what is called the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's, it's three chapters out of Matthew that are devoted to this long extended sermon, possibly over a couple of days, that Jesus is, is teaching his followers what it is to be a Christian, what it is to be a follower of Christ, what it is to be a disciple. I don't want to spend a lot of time on, on a lot of the groundwork I laid last week. If, if you weren't here or, or if you didn't get a chance to hear that, I encourage you to go online and, and check that out at our website. How many know that all the sermons we do are online? <laughs> Can I, I start there? Okay. And we do, I don't know if you know this. See, we actually even have a, a podcast, too. You can actually subscribe to it, and you'll get the sermons just show up in your phone. Uh, some people may not know that, too. So lots of ways to go back to here, or if you miss a Sunday, you can check it out. There, we also have a Monday Night Rewind, so tomorrow night the service will be shown in its entirety on Facebook. So find a way if you haven't seen it or heard it, because there's a lot of good groundwork that I, I spent time kind of laying for us as we enter into the series. But one thing I did want to touch on is this word blessed. Because in, in uh, this passage here from Matthew, you know, it begins, every line begins blessed or blessed are da-da-da-da-da, right? It doesn't actually say da-da-da-da-da, just so you know. That was my, my interpretation of that scripture. Um, but it begins with blessed, right? And it comes from this Greek word makarios. And as we talked about last week, it's, it means happy, but we in our culture, that word happy has just lost its meaning altogether. Meaning it's... it's it, 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 happiness is always looking kind of as a, it's a result of something external, right? If I went out and bought a new car and tossed you the keys and say, hey, you know, here's a new car for you. Most of us in here would probably be happy about that, right? Until you start figuring out the taxes and what the gas mileage is and all that kind of thing. But, you know, you'd be happy, right? Maybe if it's a birthday cake or, you know, if somebody gives you... Those things, you know, they, they give us happiness. And so happiness is really, in our sort of language, dictated by external things. But that is not what blessed is or blessed what it is. It, blessed is really what we use is the term joy, right? Meaning we can have joy in any circumstance. We can have joy no matter, you know, if it's sunshine, rainy, if we're going through a difficult season, if we're on the mountaintop or we're in the valley, we can still have joy in our heart. And it doesn't mean that we are ignoring our feelings of, of sadness, 
God has given us emotion, right? Most of us. <laughs> God has given us emotion. And I don't want you to ever think that you, have to, you can't show that emotion. I think sometimes we can make that mistake in churches, you know, and I, I poke fun sometimes, and I don't mean, well, actually, I do mean it when I do that. But, you know, when I say, you know, I, I've been in churches, you know, the whole, I'm too blessed to be stressed, you know. I, I just lost my, my, my dog, my car, my, you know. It sounds like the beginning of a country song, this person's living, and you're walking around with a smile on their face, but inside they're, 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 they're hurting. I'm going to get stuck in another message if I keep going, but let me just tell you, this is, this, is, this is your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. We're a church family. And the sooner we take our masks down, and the sooner we come in and we say, you know what? You know, how are you doing today? And we say, you know what? It's been a rough week. <laughs> it's funny because I hear things sometimes. Uh, the pastor, actually, every, I hear everything. It, it, it comes back somehow. I don't know if you knew that. It's maybe, I don't know what the law is behind that, but somehow... And, you know, when I hear things about people, and, and, like, and I had no clue that was going on, it, it, it breaks my heart because I'm like, why are you burdening this or shouldering this by yourself? We're not designed to do that. We're designed to walk together. We're designed to help each other and, and, to, and to do this together. So that's another sermon, another message that was free to you today. And uh, just take it and just chew on that. And I would just encourage you, you know, you're, you're not alone in your situation so let's, let's get to the scripture because that's what we're here for. Matthew chapter 5, and beginning in verse 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, to, again, uh, just, just get into your word. God, I pray just for each person here uh, listening here in this room, for all those watching online. God, I pray, Lord, that your word uh, would speak to our hearts, would change us, and God, again, would, would accomplish its purpose today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, so these are the first two Beatitudes, and last week we spent uh, a lot of time on this, what it is to be blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and what that means. And we found out last week that it doesn't have anything to do with money, does it? it was, we talked about it being an emptying of ourselves, recognizing that we have nothing to offer God, that, that, that we have to come to that place, that what we have is, we, we, we don't have anything but, but filth and sin to bring to God. And he takes that from us, and we get the better end of the deal, right? And we're given eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so that's where we began, and that's what the kingdom of heaven, it's, it really was dealing with salvation. But then we come to this next one in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I think this probably is the hardest beatitude to understand. That first phrase there, blessed are those who mourn, makes no sense to our mind. Right? Would you agree? It's, it's, very, it's very odd that, that would, those, the word blessed and mourning would be together. But again, we're going to dig into this some, and, and we're, we're going to uh, make sense of it here before we're done today. But I want you to remember that what Jesus' audience was, that, that it was his followers and that it was his disciples. And so, again, the most common sense of this word, when we think of mourning, most of our minds probably go to death, don't we? The loss of a loved one. 
The definition of mourn, and it probably doesn't need a definition, we probably understand it, but it's to experience a deep grief over something. And as I know most everybody in this room and many of the ones watching online, I know that there are people in those seasons right now that are in this season of grieving and mourning. And even if you're not, everyone here on earth, we will experience grief at some point because death is all around us, isn't it? It just, it, it's, you're, if you're here for a minute, you're going to go through a season of loss. It's going to, it will come. And so we are all familiar with what it means to mourn and to grieve the loss of a loved one. But what if I told you today, and, and what if I presented today, this idea that when these seasons of mourning come, that we could see these as seasons of opportunity. Meaning, and don't get me wrong here, we would, those things, we, don't, we wouldn't ask those things to come on ourselves. You know, we don't want to go through those times, but as we know, it's part of life, is, is to go through, we have mountaintops and we have valleys. And so, what if, during this season of mourning, you could see it as a season of opportunity? Let me explain what I mean. In James chapter 1, in a very familiar passage of Scripture for most of us, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it on what? Opportunity for great joy. Remember what joy means. Not happiness, joy. And we have an opportunity. Verse 3, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. What does that mean? It means it has a chance not to grow. But it has a chance here. We have this chance to grow and in verse 4, and it, I always hear the, the frozen theme now, but so let it grow. I know it's let it go, but so let it grow is what it says. Let it grow, let it grow. Yeah, yeah I'm the only one that's ever seen that, right? Okay, so let it grow. Let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Okay? So when these times will come, and they will come, and it's not about, again, compartmentalizing or stuffing away what you're feeling, but it is walking through that season, recognizing that God has an opportunity to use this season for his glory. Does it mean it's going to be easy? No. Does it mean you're going to be skipping through the whole way? And No. But you can have joy, and it can be an opportunity to grow. There's more opportunity than we realize in these moments. I, um, when I was in the military, I, I had to go to Korea for a year. I was stationed there for a year. And it was just after Leanne and I were married. We were married in November. In January, I was on a plane to Korea. She couldn't come with me, so we were part. The first year of marriage, uh, we didn't get any fights that year. Um, <laughs> that's not true, because we had phones, and you can still always manage to make that happen. Not fights, disagreements, lovingly. Um, it was always my fault, though. It was always my fault. Um, yeah, I know. I'm trying to get points here. Uh, so, so, but yeah, I spent a year apart, and, and then after Korea, we, I, my duty station was in Savannah, Georgia, and so that's when we were reunited, and we were able to go together as a husband and wife in person to Savannah. And when I arrived, I found out my unit was deploying. I think it was the Bosnia or Kosovo or one of those. And fortunately, the military had a, a, a thing in their 
clause, like it could, because I was coming off what was called a hardship tour, we were apart, I was not in a deployable status for a year um, because I'd been apart from my, my, my spouse for you know, a year. So, so I got there, and so I didn't have to go. And so what people don't realize, though, is when you stay back, what's, on called, what's called root attachment, all of the, the jobs on post that nobody wants to do, you get to do, right? You get signed up for, whether you knew that or not. And so, you know, if it's mowing the lawns or, you know, hey, the inside of this dumpster needs to be cleaned and painted, right? It'll be something like that. And your, you, your unit just gets tasked. You know, I need five bodies to go do this. And you get, you get tasked. Well, my, my, what I got tasked to do, or the team I was a part of, we actually got put on what was called funeral detail. And this is where we do all the funerals for military honors for funerals. And so we would cover from Daytona Beach, you know, Daytona, Florida, all the way down to the Keys, which is a lot of real estate, right? And on top of it, I'm going to say this as delicately as I can, but a lot, let's just say a lot of people go to Florida to retire. So the frequency was very high, okay? We would do anywhere from three to six, sometimes seven funerals a day. Like literally, we're going, and you know, one's here in Florida, one's on the, you know, we have to break up into different teams sometimes. So we were supposed to be two weeks on, two weeks off. But if that team that was on couldn't handle all the funerals, then we had to drive down, which was a four-hour drive, do the funeral, stay overnight, and then go back. So honestly, in those months, I saw Leanna maybe four or five days out of the month. I was, it was almost like being deployed again. But needless to say, is in those funerals, it was one of the most, it, it, it was, I don't want to make it sound like fun, but it was one of the most like memorable times. I mean, it's, it's a very unique situation when you are in somebody's like personal space during those times. I have some crazy stories. I'm not going to share them here. If you want to know those, I'll share them later. Um, okay, I'll tell you one. When we first, the very first one, and we got, we went to the first funeral home, and we thought we were in the display room, which it was. It had all the casket samples and things like that, and it had a casket in there. And we were changing. My buddy's like, his, he's got like his uniform hanging on this casket, and it's kind of cracked open. And then he's like changing. He like looks over, and he's like, Sergeant Motter, he's like, uh, there's, a, there's a guy in here. And we open and like, well, yeah, there, he, that's, he's there. And so, um, so it just, you're in these just moments of just very, most people just aren't in those, right? And so uh, all that to say is, I, I remember one out of all of those, and I could, again, I could go on for hours, like just, just interesting stories. There was one in particular, though, that stood out to me, and I want to share this with you. And, and you know, we're talking about when, when we go through these, these difficult seasons and how opportunity presents itself. I remember we were at this large funeral. It was at a large church, and it was, it was a three-man funeral. I mean, it was just the flag folding. It wasn't the rifle volleys and everything. And it was probably like three to 500 people in attendance. You know, it was a pretty, pretty good-sized funeral. And after we went forward, we did all the folding. I had to present it to the, the flag to the widow. And um, after the service, the widow came up. And, and you know, she was older. It, he, was, he was a veteran. It, you know, that, he had just died of whatever the, the reason was, but he had lived a, a pretty long life. But anyway, she came up to me, not to me, to us, to our team, and I'll, I'll never forget, you know, as she sat there and she was kind of choked up and, you know, even with, with tears in her eyes, and she sat there and she saw these three young men, you know, military guys, and she starts sharing the gospel with us. And, you know, I was a Christian at the time. I was already saved, but I'm sitting there like, I was just, 
speechless that here's this woman grieving the loss of her husband and in this moment yet doesn't waste this, this window of opportunity even amidst her pain to share about the life that he lived and that he was a believer, that she's a believer, and she wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity to know Jesus Christ before we left. And it, again, I, I kid you not, I could go on for hours of all the things that we experienced on, in that it was about almost eight months of time I ended up being on this funeral detail. But that one story stands out as clear as day. And that's really what I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to get at this point that when we go through these times, that they can still be used. There's still opportunity for Jesus to use these moments for his glory. And, and we benefit, do you understand? We benefit from it. In, in Isaiah 53, when we talk about Jesus Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says that he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way, but, and he was despised, and we did not care. And that's comfort for us today, that, that Jesus himself was a man of sorrows. He knew sorrow beyond what we could ever imagine. He's not a God who's far off, who, who doesn't understand or has read about it in a book. He walked it out. He's a, he was called a man of sorrows. He came to earth and experienced the same challenges and losses. You know, we often go to Lazarus and, Lazarus and how he raised him from the dead, but there were many. What about John the Baptist? His, his cousin, his dear friend, who was beheaded. And Jesus, I'm sure, mourned the loss. But he knew ultimately he was in eternity, but it's still, he felt the grief, the deepest grief. And as I was, uh, you know, preparing this, I, I, I came across really what's, what's called the grief process. And I think it might be good for us to touch on this. And I want to contrast this. There's, you know, there, there's a, a psychological and, and a world sort of process of, of just the natural, what the steps are. And I'm going to just touch these briefly. And then I came across uh, from a pastor in, in Alabama. It, he'd come up with these, kind of as a believer maybe, what that process should look like. And so I just want to contrast these real quick. Uh, on, on our just natural world side, you know, it begins with shock and denial. You know, we're, we're just trying to put our head around it. We can't believe it's happened, the loss of a loved one. And it moves the, from there to pain and guilt. We feel that loss very real. And we feel sometimes guilt in that maybe we didn't call enough or we didn't spend enough time or if we'd done this or that. We go through this. It's normal to go through this process. And then that can go into a place of anger, right, where we're, we're just upset. We're mad that, that we've lost this person from there, we can move into a state of depression, loneliness, and reflection. You know, and if you've gone through this or you know somebody that's gone through this, we, we, you may have seen these things. From there, then we, there's an opportunity to move to what's called the upward turn, meaning we start to re-engage with loved ones around us. You know, we may be able to start to, to talk about that person that we lost. From there, we have to move into a stage of reconstruction where we begin to now build our life with that person absent from it. And lastly, we come to a place of acceptance and hope, where we come to the place where we understand it, we get it, and now we're moving on. And that's, that's, those are the, the seven phases, if you will, of, of grief. Now, I want to move now to, to what, what us as believers, what it might look like. And this pastor, of course, being a pastor, he made sure everyone started with the same letter, because that's what we do with lists. So it begins, you know, very similar. The first three steps you know, there was shock and denial. This one, we begin as a believer with shock. We're, we're shocked, you know. We can't believe that this has happened. 
We move very similarly to a, a place of sorrow. But the key here is that we must keep moving. We must keep going in life. We can't just stop and stay there forever. And I'll say this. Let me just pause for a moment. Is I don't want you to, to, to misunderstand. Because we, as, especially in Western culture, we move at such a fast rate, don't we? Go to the McDonald's drive-thru, and if you have to wait more than three minutes for your cheeseburger, it upsets you, right? And what that does, though, is we've created, you know, with our microwaves and just the, the pace that we live life, sometimes we've, we lose sight of the benefit to, to pause and to give us time to process things, where other cultures build that in. You know, they have, they have a week or they have months of mourning where it's acceptable, you know, you, people know that you're in this state where you're going to process through this. And so I don't want to, you know, when I say keep going, it's not that you speed through it, but you need to keep moving through it. Does that make sense? All right, so from shock to sorrow, then to struggle. We're, we're trying now, we may get, we may get angry. And once, once again, we have emotions. It's okay to be upset. It's what we do with those emotions and how we process those emotions. That's what's important. But we have emotions, so it's okay to be angry. So those are very similar to what I re read from the, the other side. Now, the last three, I think, is what is really caught my attention and what's important for us today. From that struggle, we need to come to a place of surrender. Because we as believers, we acknowledge and recognize that God is sovereign over everything, that God is in control and that God has a plan and that God cares and loves not just us, but that person who has passed on into eternity. God loved them more than we did, loves them more than we did. And so we have to come to this place where we surrender our will to say, God, you are God, I am not. God, you see things from an eternal perspective. I cannot with my, my finite brain, my mind. And so we come to this place of surrendering to God and say, God, like we see Jesus in the garden, right? Not your will, but not my will, but yours be done. So we surrender. And when we hit that point, then it's easy to move to the next step of what is called in the Christian world sanctification. What is sanctification? It's where we, be, we are becoming more like Christ. God is working in us. And as we allow and give him room and space to do that, we become more like Christ as we walk out our time here on earth. Now, we won't achieve that level of, of perfection here on earth. We spend the rest of our life in the sanctification process. But this is an opportunity. This time, we can, after we surrender, we can continue to be sanctified and let Jesus work in us through that season. And lastly, and this, was my, this one might surprise you, we move to a place of service. What do you mean by that, Pastor Dell? You know, I remember, uh, I, I've shared this in depth, so I won't go too deep, but, you know, when we, we were in Kuwait, Leanne and I, we, we lost a, a child. She was five months along, and we lost the child. And we, it was probably maybe a month afterward, we were in, in a service at our church, and we were, you know, we were still obviously processing all of that. It was a very, very difficult loss. And we're standing in the back, and there was a couple that had been attending the church, and you know, we, they'd been bringing their baby, and then my, my wife, Leanna, noticed, you know, for a few weeks we hadn't seen the baby, we saw the couple, and it's like, that's kind of odd, you know, because typically when a, a baby's first born, you don't see that separation. Well, we're, as we're standing there, the pastor called this couple to the front, and he announced that, that the, the child, the baby, I think he was three or four months, had passed away. And so we're standing there, and... and, and um, the pastor, you know, he's going to pray for this couple. And right as he's about to, you know, he's, he about to say, he's about to, as he's about to start praying, he stops and he says, you know what? He goes, I can't pray 
from a place of understanding for this couple. He goes, but there's someone here that can. And I didn't, we didn't know that was going to happen, so he calls Leanna and I up. And I, if I can just be frank with you, I, I didn't know that, and I don't know that I was in a place that I was ready to pray for someone else because it was so raw and fresh still in me, right? But I saw the pain that this couple was in, and, I, and, and we wanted to be there and to do, to do what we did. And so we moved to the front, and we began to pray, and we were able to do, uh, do something that, again, we would have never have asked to have lost that child, but we were able to minister and be used by God to minister to this couple from our pain, from our loss. And that's what I mean by service, is that God wants to use those places, those places of brokenness and sorrow and tragedy, and he wants to take it. When we say there's beauty from ashes, that's what God can do. He doesn't bring those things, but he can bring good, and he can bring beauty out of that pain and that suffering if, if we allow him. I heard a pastor say once, you know, when you enter into these seasons of life and it's just so painful, he said this. He said, don't waste your pain. Because we can go through, and I've watched people go into these seasons, and I see them in their pain, but because they won't just surrender and let God do what he needs to do, what only he can do, they can easily slip into bitterness. They just fight against it. And it's different time for different people. It's, it's, it's not like you know, this, this, and this, like a certain time frame. We just need to let God just have his way and surrender. And he can use us for his service, amen? In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5, listen to this. It said, Blessed be the God, our Father, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, now listen to this, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, that's where, that's where the victory comes, right? I love the fact, I love the fact every time I get to minister or to talk to somebody who's experienced the loss of a child and I get to pray with them and I get to walk with them, Leanne and I both, you know what that is? That is a kick in the face to the enemy. Don't, don't misunderstand, I, and I hope I'm not coming across like this. It's not like you lose a child and then you just jump over here and like, praise Jesus, it's great. There was tears and suffering and hurt and pain. There was problems in our marriage. It, it caused all kinds of chaos. But I'm standing here today. My wife and I just celebrated 20 years of marriage last month, or last year, end of last year. Amen. And the very thing that Satan meant to, to break us apart and to derail everything, God used and he brought us closer together than ever in our marriage. He blessed us with two boys now since then. He has continued to pour out his blessing and use that horrible experience for his glory. And I will continue to do that until the day I die. Because that's what he wants and that's what he intended. I think the clock is going faster today than normal. <laughs> All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to alter some things here, so we'll see where this goes. It's going to be good. <laughs> Hopefully you're confident. I don't know if I am, but, but here's the deal, and this is what I want to get to. 
You know when you're driving on the road and you see that, you know, the yellow signs, and they typically have like an arrow, or you have the fun ones that, you know, do something like, you know, well, I want you to imagine one of those yellow signs, and you're going to have it going, and you're just going to have a hard right turn, because that's what we're about to do right now, okay? I want you to, to as we, we begin this, this kind of wind-up of this, this message today, and we're going to come back to where we started about being this, this, this difficult phrase of blessed, blessed are those who mourn. And we're going to come back, and we're going to come back to that statement I made earlier about us being good Bible students, and we want to look at the Scripture in context, and the Scripture says what it says. Amen? Everybody with me? So what I want to do, though, is as we approach this, I want you to understand that everything that we've said and shared until now is good, and it is true, and it is for people here today and listening online that, that there are people that need to hear this and be encouraged by this. And what I want you to do now as we move into this next segment, to this next section, is that grief, hopefully all of you, you know, touched on, whether, you know, maybe for some of you, and not maybe, I know some of you that's easy to do because you're going through that now. But for some of us, you know, you know even me talking about losing my, my son, you know, I can, I can tap into that grief during that, when I talk about it. It doesn't hurt the way it used to because God has redeemed it, but I want you to understand that grief, and I want you to hold that for a minute. Whatever that is, whatever loss that was of that loved one, I want you to hold that for a minute. As we approach verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I want to look at another passage, and it's going to kind of unpack this for us, and then we're going to, just, we're going to wrap it all up. If you, if you have your Bibles, I, I want you to turn to chapter, or sorry, Isaiah chapter 61. And what we're going to see is that Jesus, as he began, and again, we need to understand, these are the first two lines of, of, of that Sermon on the Mount. So they're important. Why? Why is he starting in that place? And if you remember last week, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? For they, the kingdom of God is theirs. That was, that's salvation. Right? It's recognizing that we have nothing to offer God, coming to God, and so then we, we are able to be saved. And so keep that in your mind as well. But Jesus, what he's doing here is he's, he's smart. He's pulling from Isaiah as he approaches this sermon. And his audience, and most of them here, would have been familiar with this passage as he approached it from Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, listen to this. The Lord of the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Right? Sound familiar? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, right? To grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. As we look at this, we understand, and it's probably pretty clear, that we are talking primarily about spiritual things here, right? Right? He wasn't talking about literal headdresses or literal ashes or oil or garments. He's, he's, he's talking about in the spirit, right? And so we have to remember that, and as we approach that, 
we have to have this thing in our mind that what we experience and what we're going through here on earth is temporary. And what matters the most is that which is spiritual, right? Is spirit. Because spirit is what goes on into eternity, right? Remember that the physical death here on earth, it's, it's, it's not the only thing that we should be mourning over. What is death? What is death? It seems like a simple question, but it comes down to one word. Do you know what, do you know what the word I would say that death is? And I believe scripture backed it up, backs it up, is separation. Separation. You think of, you know, when we die, what happens to our spirit and our body? They separate, right? What is the reason that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins was so that we who from our sin, by our sin, were separated from God, Jesus came to die to make a way for us to once again be in relationship with God our Father. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the, you know, the greatest statements of, that he makes, he makes these seven phrases, these, these seven statements as he's hanging on the cross. We call them the seven last words. And one of those phrases says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? Because for the first time, as we know, Jesus is God. The Son of God had always been he had always known for all time what it was to be in relationship with God the Father. And in that moment, he felt for the first time the separation as the sin of the world was placed on him. That was death. Death from being separated with God. And as we know, when we say Jesus overcame the grave on the third day, and what he offers us is life. How do we get life? How do we have life? We say that because we have life. Why? Because we are once again in relationship with God. The thing that Adam and Eve lost in the garden because of choosing sin, Jesus came to restore relationship and therefore to restore life. Not for us just to walk out here on earth all of our days, but life eternal, life in relationship with God. That's why when we look at the world around us and we say the world is dead, that means that they're, they're dead because of their sin. They are separated from God. They cannot be in relationship with God. And so this really... When we look at this, this statement or this, this phrase, this beatitude, this second beatitude, and this is what I want you to get, and I hope that you've gotten some from the beginning, but if you don't get anything else today, this, this is it right here. When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, you know what he's talking about? He's saying that that, that grief, the grief that we just talked about all up until this point, that, that pain that you feel, that depth of, 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 of hurt and, and all of that that, that, that intensity of grieving, that's the same grief that we are supposed to have towards sin. 
That is the grief. When, when he's saying, blessed are those who mourn, it is that, that we are mourning the sin that we have allowed into our life, the sin that we see others living, the sin of our life that we have become comfortable with, that we should have that same intensity of, of grieving because, because we continue to choose sin over Christ. We continue to choose death over life. Because when, when we come to that place of mourning and understand, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, as we talked about, that was salvation, for theirs is the kingdom of God, right? So salvation, now he moves to the same spiritual principle of, of when we mourn, what? Mourn the sin in our life, we shall receive comfort. That there's comfort that comes to those who mourn over sin that we keep coming back to and the hurt that we keep bringing to God our Father. And I don't know about you, but there are sins in my life I get so angry at myself. <laughs> because, you know, you think you got it kind of figured out that it's gone or, you know, and, and you just take one moment, you take kind of your eye off it for a second and it just shoots back up, Right? And a lot of times it's those little things, right? Yeah, it's not going to hurt anybody. <laughs> Nobody will know about this. Now, the good news is there's power and authority over that sin that we can find, you know, victory over that sin. But because sin is in our flesh, because we are descendants of Adam and Eve, we will constantly be, be battling sin the rest of our life here on earth. You understand, when you, when you come to, to Christ and you are saved, your spirit is made new. Your eternal person inside of you is made new and clean. But this body, this flesh, continues to desire sin. Can I get an amen to that, please, so I know I'm not alone? It does, doesn't it? You just scratch your head like, what am I doing? Why, do I, why am I drawn to this when I know it's wrong? <laughs> And so we are to grieve and we are to recognize that there should be great sorrow over the sin that we feel and that, 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 that parallel, you know, because that's what life is. That's why we walk out this life on earth and, and, and Jesus always used physical things to, to, to make spiritual principles understandable, right? And so that grief, that sorrow that we feel over losing a loved one, man, God help us to feel the same way about the sin that's in our life. And that should make us upset, <laughs> Say, God, fill me. Take this. In Psalm 118, 136, 136, it says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people, listen to this, do not know your law. There's this grief, there's this shedding of tears because we see people that, that are, are, are living contrary to what God had intended. We see evil around us and we see sin around us. And this is how this is why we should be affected. And when we see people that are hurting and struggling and bound to sin, it should break our hearts. We shouldn't just walk by and say, well, that's on them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. As we wrap things up here today. I want us to really, you know, just keep that in, in full picture and, 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 and keep our minds there for a moment. And as you go into this week, I would encourage you to spend time 
and say, God, if, if sin in my life does not bother me to that extent, will you change me? Show me why. Show me places where I've allowed sin to come in and I've just gotten so comfortable with it that it doesn't even faze me anymore. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I, I, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity today to, to share your word. God, I thank you that you, God, you are with us and that you love us and that you see the pain, Lord God. And God, I think about in, in, at the end of Revelation where it talks about that you will, you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. God, I thank you that, that you love us and that you care about us in such a way that you see every, every moment, every pain, every tear that is shed, the grief that, that can overwhelm us at times as we walk this road here on earth that's filled with suffering, that's filled with pain. But God, that you've shown us a way to walk it out where we can still have joy in our hearts. And God, where we can still experience, Lord God, how you redeem those, those losses. But God, let us always begin at the place of recognizing our own sin. And God, if, if we grieve, Lord God, may we start at that place of grieving our own sin. And God, it doesn't mean that we have to live a life, Lord, just groveling and in, 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 the, in the dumps, so to speak. But God, that we must always live life understanding what we've been brought from. Understanding, Lord, that we cannot save ourselves. God, may we allow you to continue to work this, this, this process of sanctification in our hearts and in our lives. And God, we thank you that there is a day coming, Lord, where there truly will be no more pain. There will truly be no more death, no more sorrow. When our eyes behold you face to face, and God, the things of this world and, and all of the struggle and all of the suffering that we experience, Lord God, will just, will just melt away and will be present, Lord, with our Creator and our Savior. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you, Lord God, that, that you have spoken to us through your word today. And God, I pray, Lord, that this will resonate in our hearts for a long time to come, for the rest of our lives, in fact. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?